uh, Ward Hugh and everybody. He is an author, a reverend, and just a great uh, friend to AA, be it secular or traditional. And uh, yeah, great to see you again, sir. Take all the time you need. Thank you, Mark. It's it's really good to be back with this group. I, this is a, a wild group, you know that. Uh, and having a, a, a non-alcoholic speaker probably violate some sort of tradition that, that the, at open meetings, the non-alcoholics aren't supposed to speak much. Uh, I've been violating that a long time. The um, Briefly, a little bit about my, my background, for those who haven't heard it, for those of you who were at the meeting when I spoke last November, I think, or sometime last fall, uh, this may be a little redundant, and I apologize for that. And if you want more on on what I've how I've been involved with AA. Um, Grapevine did a podcast recently, and it's under the title of God of Our Experience, and we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, the um, I am an Episcopal minister, Anglican. Uh, I have no opinions on Ireland and England, uh, which I think most of Anglicans probably do have. Uh, I've been involved with AA since the mid seventies um, and and have been a trustee and then chairman of the board. Uh, and now I'm a trustee emeritus, which means I still go to meetings to the trust to the board meetings, have voice, but no vote. Uh, we can talk about that if you want to. I, I love the questions when we get to that. Uh, I got into involved with AA in the mid seventies when I took a congregation, a small congregation in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, it was small enough that I knew what was going on with most of the parishioners and in their homes and, and talked to their, their children. And um, so first place I've ever been as a, as a priest who got a call from a parishioner who said, uh, and you need to go see my husband. He's in the county jail um, and I'm not going to go see him. I'm not speaking to him. And he had, he had gotten paid Friday night, got drunk, got in a fight at the bar, spent his whole paycheck, and she was really furious. And I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do or what to say to him. Uh, and that was the dramatic moment. But there were other moments when I became aware that I knew nothing about alcoholism. And I knew nothing. I, I had no idea what to say to folks who were in trouble. And I needed to learn. So I decided to go to the experts, which is open meetings of AA. And that was back in the smoking days. Some of you may recall uh, smoke meetings where they smoked. If you sat in the back of the room, you could hardly see the speaker. Uh, and my wife would would just, was when I would come home, she would say, take off your clothes and leave them outside. I don't want to smell you, uh, which I took to be a bit of a mi mixed message. Uh, she uh the uh the real change happened however when a member of the parish who had seven years sobriety came to me concerned about his spiritual life and together we decided to start a small group of people in aa all members of aa this is not an aa group but members of aa who wanted to talk about spirituality and who had at least five years sobriety and i met with that group every tuesday afternoon for five years and it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. I think that the first thing about it 
you know, clergy, people don't want clergy to be honest. You may or may not be aware of that. They want us to be good. And those are not necessarily the same things. I had no group where I could talk about my doubts. I had no group where I could talk about what I was really feeling and thinking. And this little group of, of members of AA had one criteria for our meeting. And that was what I've come to know as rigorous honesty. They did not care about what I had done or what I was thinking or what I was anxious about. What they cared was that I'd be as honest as I could about it. And that of course changes over time, but as honest, what I like about the, the phrase rigorous honesty is not perfect honesty. It means I'm working at being honest, as honest as I can, and how important that is uh, for, for living. And for, for clergy, uh, that was life-giving. To, to be able to, to deal with things in my past that I didn't really, that I would really hide. Uh, it was it was the most wonderful experience I've ever had in a small group with those those men. They were all men. Sorry about that. Uh, they were all men and and it was a, a vigorous conversation um, and an honest conversation. Uh, that's what got me started. I also took some seminars and some work at the University of Louisville. Moved to Buffalo, New York in, in 85, 1985. Uh, tried to start a group like that again. And, you know, you get a gift once. You, you can't make it happen. And I never did have a group quite like that. But I would set up support groups. And I discovered that if I had a member of AA in recovery who was in the support group, uh, we would avoid most of the BS. But if I didn't, it was sports and weather and stuff that, that was not worth the time. So I, I appreciate y'all for having fabulous BS detectors. And they can be a wonderful thing for a group. Uh, then I, in 1998, I was elected the president of General Theological Seminary, Episcopal Seminary in New York City. Uh, got there and began discovered that nobody knew about alcoholism, especially among clergy. And we were all needed. So we began the first course of any seminary in the United States on alcoholism and recovery and the role of the church and of the clergy in recovery and, and intervention. It was the most popular course rated by the students as the most important course uh, each year that, that we were there. And it's still going on. Other seminaries have now picked it up, which for which I am thankful. Um, I was interviewing a man for the chief economic officer of the seminary. And I, one of the things I'd gotten comfortable about addiction is to, in an interview to ask people about their family, their family history, their personal history with drugs and alcohol, uh, which always surprised them. I don't know why we don't talk about it. It, it, there's still a kind of shame that somehow is guiding our cultures. Um, but so we, so I told him my experience and my, my little story and he had 20 something, I think 27 years sobriety in AA and he shared his and he took the job for 24 hours. And then he called me back and said, his partner said, I can't take this job. We just retired and I need to try retirement first. And then a couple of months later, he called me and he said, 
uh, we're looking for some class A trustees. That's the non-alcoholic trustees for the general service conference. Would you be willing to put your name in? And so I did, I was elected and then later uh, in 03 and then in 09 was elected chair of the board, which is a four year term. And now I'm a, I'm a trustee emeritus. Um, I think the thing that maybe is relevant for this group is I was probably best known as the the priest who did the 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 reverend who didn't like the Lord's Prayer in open meetings. Excuse me. Um, I remember we had a general sharing session in every board weekend, and I was asked to 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 comment on religion and membership. And it's really clear. I mean, that's that's. In retrospect, that was really kind of a dumb issue because there's only one criteria for membership, and that's the desire to stop drinking. Uh, and while a lot of sometimes sometimes people bring a second criteria that you're not going to get sober if you don't believe in God, uh, I've learned clearly that's not true. Uh, I know a lot of people who have 20, 30, 40 years sobriety who have no belief in God. In fact, a pretty strong belief that there is no God, and uh, they've done very well in AA. And in fact, they're some of my greater teachers. They, they've taught me so much. I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, so from that presentation, then I made a couple more, and then there were a couple of great fine articles about religion and 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 AA, and. You you can obviously see why I I feel strongly that we don't need the Lord's Prayer at AA meeting at open AA meetings. I don't care what you do at closed meetings. That's that's up to the group. But at open meetings, uh, we've all heard stories of people who came to AA, who were turned off by the God talk, who went back out, and then finally because they had no other place to go, came back to AA, and some ended up being okay with God, and some continued. To, to feel strongly that there is no God. Um, what we haven't heard are the stories of those who came to AA, were turned off by the God talk, went back out, and never came back because they almost certainly ended up incarcerated in mental hospital or dead. Uh, those sort of the outcomes. Uh, we don't need to be turned. We need to be reaching out to everyone who needs help, who would be willing to be a part of this, this fellowship. And, and uh, we don't need to turn them off with, with Lord's prayer. Uh, I've never had that a group change its mind because of my statements, by, <laughs> but that's where I've been. And it's been my, my sort of my, reputation. I was really fortunate to get to speak to the first international conference on on atheist agnostics and free thinkers in AA in California. And that was a wonderful conference. And I've got some good friends who are among the secular groups and and I learn a great deal from them. I think I think if I were going to try to summarize some of where I am today, it's that the higher power is an experience. It represents people who have come into the fellowship because they can't get sober by their own hard work and own controlling all issues. 
In fact, controlling is obviously part of the problem. Uh, why, why does AA work? Well, there are lots of, lots of explanations. Uh, one is the power of the group that you, that you come to. I think at the very heart of the of recovery of, of is, is the willingness to accept help. Um, that's, that's maybe what we need by, by acceptance that above all is not only that I am an alcoholic and I need help, but that I also need help. I cannot manage this on my own without help. That's a, that's a powerful, powerful decision that puts one into a group that has a very powerful culture and spirit that will change your life. There's also things like uh, t- storytelling, the power of story. Uh, we could all do some work with that, uh, that, that we are really formed. Who are we? Well, if you ask me who I am, I tell my story. That's the only way I can tell you who I am. Uh, and that can will grow and change over the years as I grow and change over the years. And that's true for all of us. And just think for a minute about the story when a person first comes into the fellowship and and they. I re, well, I remember me. I have a little meeting that I go to from time to time. It's I'm in a very rural area of East Tennessee. Now, uh, when I moved here, we had one meeting in the whole county on Sunday night and it was closed. So a group came to me and asked if I could help. And we started another meeting on Saturday morning. And I I don't go all the time. I don't think it's appropriate for a non-alcoholic to be there all the time. But I do go from time to time. And I remember we had a young man who had been sent by the court. And he sat at the meeting, got his certificate signed, did not say a word. I'm not sure how long that went on, but it went on a while. And then one day as the group was kind of going around, it was a discussion meeting. he said, I'm Joe, I'm alcoholic, I'm glad to be here. That was all he said. And within a year, we were getting his story. Within a year, we were seeing a different person. And it started with that willingness to be open about his own identity, his own need for help, and then beginning to tell his story. And his story became not of somebody who's in, hopelessly a drunk, but of somebody who's in recovery. And that's a different person the power of a story. All of those things are, are really incredibly power, powerful. The group, the ability to surrender, the sharing of stories, the listening. Uh, to be listened to by a group is just empowering. And then we add to that this whole sense of rigorous honesty. And no wonder it's, it's transforming. Now, some people see that power and will use the name God. I think it's kind of a shorthand for all of those aspects of power. Others don't want to use the word God, and that's fine, because what really matters is not what we call it, but what the experience is, and to understand the experience. And part of what has been really wonderful in terms of working with secular AA members is to understand their spirituality. A lot of people don't like the word spirituality. They think religion sneaking in, but we all have spirituality. And and as I walk with and talk, talk with and listen to members in in AA who are in secular AA, it's those experiences that really have transformed the life. And if they if if somebody wants to call it God, okay. If they don't want to call it God, I say okay. And we need and basically I do all that because of the great need we have for humility. When you know the church doesn't have answers, it has an experience that it's trying to understand. And if we could come to understand that, I think we would all be better off 
and and AA has experiences that they're sharing and understand, coming to understand. Um, you know, we're not all right all the time. <laughs> uh, we are right some of the time. Oh, I recently, it's it can be religion can be incredibly offensive, and I I can get as angry as anybody about it. Uh, I recently had cataract surgery. Uh, last time I was with you, I think I was still wearing glasses, um, but I had cataract surgery and we got into the cataract surgery and the doctor. So I'm tied down on the table and the uh, anesthesiologist is giving me whatever it is he gives me. And the doctor comes over to me and he says, let's have a prayer. And he said a prayer, which sounded more like a PR for his services than anything addressed to God or about me. I was so... I. And I couldn't do a thing. I couldn't even say stop. Uh, I, I was I was going under. That was the most offensive thing I think I've experienced in the last five years. And I it made me understand folks who are called in who are in secular AA and end up in a meeting that's overly religious. It's offensive, and and we need to be humble about it. But we also need to be careful. Particularly, well, both sides need to be careful not to be overpowering to others. It's uh, anyway, I had I couldn't say anything because I had the other eye that had to get operated on the next week. So I had to go through that twice. But at least I knew it was coming the next time. I want to share a little bit. I think I shared with you last time. Uh, for those who were here that I have been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Uh, it's uh, and you know something? I have a fabulous program to deal with that. I believe it's found in the 12th step to, to practice these principles in all our affairs. So the last year I have been working at how do I deal with a personal challenge? Uh, and I said, I've got, I've got the principles and I just need to use them. Uh, obviously the first one is to one day at a time. And, and one of the, one of the challenges with Parkinson's is there's not a lot of information and the diagnosis is loose and and it's it, there's an awful lot of we don't know what's going to happen and it would be very easy in fact i've kind of had to quit reading about it for a while uh, it would be very easy to get anxious about what's coming well i have today and i'm fine today and i'm have much much wonderful time and to suddenly start letting that be corroded by worrying about what's coming would be tragic because I don't have forever. So let's enjoy this day. So one day at a time is the beginning of, 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 a, of a powerful program that will, that will see me through this illness. Um, taking the world as it is, not as I would try to make it again, uh, because there's so much in this disease that's unknown, you have to be open to hearing what's there. I have to be open to hearing what's really there. And I have to not overreact uh, to one statement or another. I need to be rigorously honest about what I can really know because that's the world I have to live in. So I take my pills and I do my exercise and I'm doing pretty well. 
but that's taking this world as it is. I would love to just rationalize it. Well, I think they've misdiagnosed. I think we'll, I'm going to be okay. Or I don't know that this treatment really is effective. Uh, there's so many different ways uh, I could rationalize that around. But the important thing is to take this world as it is, not as I would like to have it. I've also come to recognize something that may sound very familiar to you. I didn't cause this, but I'm responsible for what I do with it. I did not cause this illness, just as you did not cause your alcoholism or your drug addiction. But now that we accept that we have, that we have these illnesses, now that we are trying to live a day at a time and take the world as it is, there are actions we must take, and we need to do those. Uh, because if we don't, the, the disease will take over. And then there's resentment and anger. Y'all know about resentment and anger? <laughs> uh, it would be so easy to get resentful. Why does this have to happen to me? I've been a good guy. I shouldn't have to have to deal with this. Uh, and to be angry about it. Um, but this program has taught me, deal with your resentments. Find somebody that if you begin to feel that way that you can talk about, that you can de take the power out of it, that you can get back to the day at a time, that you can get back to the world as it is. And that world says acceptance. Acceptance is so critical for getting rid of resentment and anger. And then the real test comes that I do now every morning, which is gratitude. Because this day is the day I have. It's a wonderful day. I'm not responsible for the fact that some bad things have happened. Uh, I am responsible for getting doing my exercise and, and trying to stay as healthy as I can. But above all else, I have a wonderful wife. I have a wonderful life. I have a, a, a I consider my life so blessed because I've known this fellowship. Uh, I have uh, this day, I have my, my wife's going to have her birthday tomorrow. My daughter's coming in from New York. Uh, that's a that's a belly button birthday. Uh, my daughter's coming in from New York. My son's coming in from from Seattle. We're all going to get together. It's going to be a great weekend. And it's uh, I guess the fourth will come in at some level, but fourth of July. But um, we have a wonderful time. And I live in the family home, which our family bought in 1861. And I know for those of you in England and Ireland, the 180 year old house is not old in the United States. It's the oldest in the county. Uh, and uh, we've we've lived in it in four generations and each generation has added some advantage to it. And it's just a lovely place. The farm was on the Tennessee River, got flooded by one of the TVA lakes. So we don't have a farm, but we have a lake. Uh, I have so much and so much to be thankful for. I have friends all over the world now. I have friends all over the, the country. Uh, I have opportunities for conversations and, and, and teaching. Uh, I have so much to be grateful for. So every morning, that's how we start our day. What are we grateful for today? And uh, you know something, these are, these are the principles for all our affairs. This is not about alcoholism. I know that we like to restrict our conversation to alcoholism, but if I'm looking at all of our affairs, then the principles of 12 step 
uh, spirituality wow uh, and i know that y'all understand that this is a powerful spirituality that transforms lives uh, and as you live into it gratitude becomes the real real key sign that that you have found something of recovery so hopefully my story well it's not exactly the same is not unrelated but at least i give thanks and i have great gratitude for the spiritual program of the steps and i think i'll stop there mark so we'll have some time for q a thank you so much ward um give me one second <clears throat> everyone has 20 to 30 seconds to say thank you to ward now if you wish have a chance to unmute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you. Boy. Thanks again. Thanks nice to boy. hear you again. Wonderful. No, mutual. And Franco has his hand up for a question or to share whatever he wants. Thank you again, Ward. Always great to hear you, man. Sorry about the illness again. You unmute, Frank? Yeah, I was waiting for you to say your whatever you wanted to say. I was just curious where is how you got into the priesthood and the clergy. And I do have a good AA story for you if you want a good AA story. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've never been asked that question at an AA gathering, but I'll I'll try to do the short version. I had a tough, tough teenage years. Um, I was a super achiever. And somehow got the idea that if I could be perfect, then I would be worth something. And if I were less than perfect, I wasn't worth anything. And and I spent a lot of time thinking how awful I was and how I spent a lot of time thinking about suicide. Uh, and I was on a I, I saw myself sort of on a pinnacle on a on a little tower with everybody below clapping and nobody knew who I was or cared anything about me. And I could not step off that tower. But I. The, the thing that changed my life actually was church camp. Uh, went to church camp for many years. Uh, and there, I, nobody knew I was practically perfect teenager. Uh, they just kind of thought I was a neat guy. And the teaching was that we're all children of God and we don't need any value greater than that. Uh, if you want to be secular, we're all human beings. And that is the value that we all have. And all of our achievements are nothing compared to how, how important our life as a human being is. Uh, and that slowly changed my life. I had an experience of, of one night being really upset uh, uh, and, and, and thinking it was really time to end it. And, and there was a, a kind of a peace that came over me. I still don't understand what happened. I don't, it, it's an experience that I had and it's, it helped me put all of this together, that I was a child of God, that I was of worth, and, and, and that's all I needed to know. Well, I went on, I went, I went through college uh, and then went straight on to seminary. Uh, and I, I have no friends from high school. Uh, how could I? They didn't have a clue who I was except this person up on a, on a pedestal. Um, I have friends, we just had a group of friends from uh, our church camp experience last weekend. We've been together for 60 years. Um, and, uh, my, I met my wife at church camp. 
that's a that's a long and treacherous story. But eventually, I was assigned to her home parish when I graduated from seminary, and nine months later, we were married. Um, and it's been a wonderful fifty-five years. So that's, a, I guess, a short answer. I'm sure there's more. Hey, I was a, a church. I was a sexton in an Episcopal church for ten years. In, uh, oh. In Cleveland, yeah, it was a great. Oh, time. in Cleveland, good gracious, yeah, Cle Cleveland, um, Ohio. Yes. Oh, okay. I was thinking Cleveland, Tennessee, which is right down the road from us. <laughs> well, I had looked at that. I was going to go there actually. Right. Um, but the the story I had was uh, a story told to me in AA. It was a good friend of mine. Uh, he was thinking about drinking one night, and he called the sponsor. He said, "Look, I'm thinking about drinking, and I don't know what to do." And the sponsor said, "Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the store." and get a bag of potato chips. And then I want you to go home and eat them. And this guy was like, what could this possibly do to keep me sober? But he did it, and it worked. And it was just like what you were talking about, being willing and taking direction from somebody else. Yeah. And that's all I got. Thanks, Ward. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Frank. Always great to see you. Uh, Grant is next. Thanks, Mark. I'm Grant, alcoholic, and I'm powerless over alcohol, and my wife is unmanageable. <laughs> yeah, there's another joke for you. Yeah. Well, I'm one of those guys you mentioned who's not had uh, the God in a, uh, they talk about in a, a big book and stuff. I've rejected religion back when I was in it as a teenager, and now I've been sober for 45 years figuring out my own higher power in my own way. And I, it comes down to me for just a simple thing, whether there is a God or there isn't a God, I'm still an alcoholic and that's what I got to pay attention to. And I don't have to worry about the rest of it. Uh, I got to thank you for being here. I recognized your name before you started speaking. I know who the heck you are. I've been in AA long enough to know your name. You're a familiar person. You know, I know about the non-alcoholic trustees on the board. And I think that's one of the greatest things we ever did. And uh, you're one of the greatest guys we've ever had, too. So I appreciate your very existence and all your hard service. Um, I, I, as a matter of fact, I summed up your speaking. I loved what your, your story. And I said to myself, my gosh, this guy's just a breath of fresh air. And we need to hear more from you in uh, more of these meetings because there's too much crap going on about people deciding what people have to do and have to believe in order to get sober in AA. And, and as you and me know, well, I've got one of those, uh, what did you call it? Fabulous BS detectors too. My wife knows that she <laughs> doesn't appreciate it. She can't get away with anything in this house without me saying that ain't true. That ain't so. And uh, we got too much BS going on in meetings too. And uh, that's why you were such a breath of fresh air this morning. And I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll close with one thing. You do, you and your wife do a gratitude every morning. Me and my wife do it every day after lunch because we don't have breakfast together. I get up about two hours before she does. So lunch is when we come together for the time of the day for gratitude. We, and she's not an alcoholic or anything, but we're reading out of Alanine's book, Courage to Change at lunchtime. And she likes it. She's learning about this program backwards by not being an Alanine, but reading the book anyway. <laughs> And uh, I think it's kind of funny, but, you know, she's changed a little, too, in the 41 years I've been married to her now. Mm -hmm. I think that happens when somebody lives with an alcoholic for a hell of a long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, thanks very much, and I'm done. I'll close with that.
Thanks, Grant. Always great to see you, buddy. Uh, Jennifer, NYC. Hey, um, I really, 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 really enjoyed this meeting. Um, it's such a cool angle, you know. I, I know for myself, um, I, I lived in Kansas City, Missouri for a while. Um, as a, when my mother left my father, we had to go and live with her parents. And her mother um, was taking us to Unity Village in Kansas City, Missouri, and Eric Butterworth was the speaker. And that man saved my life. Um, the way they talked about science of the mind, focus, intention, spirit, you know, I mean, it just helped me so much through what we were dealing with, which was, it was a living hell. And my grandfather was severely alcoholic and grandma was an Al-Anon. And all I saw that she was getting out of Al-Anon was justifiable anger and rage and nothing was helping. Um, so that was my education on alcoholism and um, grandpa's alcoholism was, you know, I mean, it was pedophile land, you know, blackout drunk. Grandma couldn't handle any truth beyond uh, the fact that he was alcoholic, but beyond what he was doing, she couldn't handle it. And she abused my sisters. Um, but um, she survived the depression anyway. So my, my introduction to AA was um, that I, I, I was trying to save my boyfriend's life. I did not understand this disease. And I knew that if I sat in those rooms with him, as often as I could, I, I would start to understand it. I needed to know my enemy. It's a samurai thing. I was like, I need to know my enemy. I need to second guess it. I need to be able to get one foot in front of it. And all his mother was doing to help me was saying, change your locks and go to Al-Anon, Jen. Lock my son out of your house. Do not let him in. She knew him way better than I did. And she knew the disease better than I did. But it took me seven years of me organically dealing with that kind of pain and repeat pain and repeat offense to finally get to the point where it was my life or him and I was ready to murder him and I was ready to take my own life. That was my education on alcoholism. It, I couldn't have done it any other way. I had to meet the devil on his terms and I had to know what I was looking at. And I knew that I could not help this person and I couldn't love him any more safely because it was killing me. That was my education on alcoholism. Jim Smith was the poster boy for the guy that could never get sober. He couldn't be honest about his, his alcoholism and the abuse from his father, who was an Irish, a black Irish alcoholic, actor, model, really, really abusive father and husband. Um, it, it destroyed Jim, um, you know, and everyone that loves an alcoholic, it's like damage. It's like six degrees of separation of damage. It's like a ripple effect. You know, um, I'm getting too much into this. I'm, I've had too much coffee, but um, I'm a coffee addict as well. So thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. And next up is Helena staying in New York. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Wow, am I glad I tuned in today. You know, um, I'm so sorry. Well, I'm not sorry, but I'm glad I'm here now. But yeah, what happened is, you know, I got tied up on the phone. I'm like, I got to get to this meeting. I got to get to this meeting. But you know what? I've come to discover 
I got here exactly when I'm supposed to get here, you know? And um, wow, you just said exactly what I needed to hear for today. The little part I heard, I'm like, wow, listen to him. You know, um, a lot of the things that, that I heard you say when you talked about um, you know, alcoholism, like in, in the family, not talked about in this and that. You know, I just like recently found out that that um, my grandmother um, used to have a pint of alcohol behind the bathtub. I didn't know that until like last summer when I was talking to my cousin and I was like, oh, we were talking about granny because I have this beautiful picture of a beautiful woman. Um, she was born in um, Portugal and and um yeah but that I knew that part I knew but um when my cousin was like yeah you know granny granny always had something back there I'm like is she lying to me you know it it, and if she did if she didn't but you know when I look back at different family members and talk to other family members that that um when it comes to alcohol, there was a lot of alcoholism, but guess what? It was all untreated, you know, and a lot of suffering. Um, two family members died of um, severe alcoholism. So I, you know, my journey hasn't been the best, but it certainly hasn't been the worst, you know, and um, I'm glad I was able to find the program. And and with me, with 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 the religion thing, I was never happy with with the Lord's prayer in a meeting, and I never said it. And I got flack from some of my fellow AA members, but I didn't care because I, I was the type of person I still can be sometimes that I would curse you out if you mess with me, you know. So I'm like, listen, I'm not holding hands, I'm not saying a prayer, I'm not doing it, you know, because I didn't see anything that dictated that I had to do that. I can remember one of my girlfriends telling me. That, that I was going to go to hell if I didn't believe in God and I wasn't going to be able to stay sober. She's been dead a long time, picked up and everything. I'm still here. <laughs> so, um, well, I got a laugh out of you anyway. But yeah, yeah. So who has the right to tell anybody what to believe? You know, that it's an open, open book to what your belief is in your higher power. The book says it. Matter of fact, all the books say that, more or less. So anyway, Thank you so much, sir. And I look forward to hearing from you sometime soon again for part four. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and have a splendid day. Bye for now. Thank you, Helena. <clears throat> Always great to see you. Uh, Ward, I actually had a quick question. Who did you go to about your doubts in AA when you were in the group stuff? Like, like who did, who did you I talk to? Who did yeah. I go to what? About your, your doubts with uh, AA, like let's say with the Lord's Prayer and one or two other things. Like where where did you go? Obviously, you became the trustee or whatever. Kind of like yeah. Frank's story. There we go. Yeah. How, how did you become that? Um, it, I guess it it's just evolved over time. I don't recall. I guess the thing that was critical was that forced me to put my thoughts together was when I was asked to do the paper at the sharing session for the trustee meeting. Now I'd been a trustee maybe two years and, and the issue of, of God, God talk, the Lord's prayer, all of those things were kind of whirling around. I don't remember exactly the topic, but I know it was about membership in AA. And as I said, 
So I start with the premise that all you need is a desire to stop drinking. And and I, I went on and kind of said, and some people, when they go to AA, have a spiritual experience that they identify with a traditional belief in some sort of God. Um, others don't. And I was just beginning to get to know folks uh, who uh, were atheist agnostics and and who were had years and years of sobriety. So so I had already discovered that it's those who say you got to believe in God or you won't stay sober don't know what they're talking about. They, they have not embraced uh, rigorous honesty. They have embraced a position where they are. And so somewhere in that paper, I need to go find that paper. <laughs> uh, I kind of said, we've got to start talking about experience, not about the explanation, the theology of it. Uh, and and why we what the explanation is, is probably a much more complex than we realize. I certainly hadn't put together uh, the idea that of, of the different types of power, of the power of the group, the power of storytelling, the power of surrender. None of that when I first came to say, we need to look. So, so I guess the short answer to your question is sober members of AA who had no belief in God challenged the idea that you have to believe in God to get sober and stay sober. And, and that begins me on a, a little different journey and a recognition that what we're talking about is experience, not theology. Let's keep the theology. Let's keep the traditional religion out. In fact, I'd like to keep a lot of the traditional religion out of the church. Uh, I mean, it, it's really awful. Um, and the judgment that the church, the stuff we're dealing with in this country today with the Methodists around gay and lesbian issues, with the Southern Baptists around women in the church, just hard things, uh, just awful. And and that's defining the understanding of Christianity, which I, is not mine even close. Uh, but well, I'm, that's an outside topic, outside subject. Uh, let me let me come back to the question. I think the question is the, the short answer is I met people who had years and years of sobriety without a theology, without a belief in God. And and they challenged me to look at my own life, my own faith. And it's been a really wonderful thing. Thank you, Ward. Um, one second, Rose, and I hand it over. You know, when he said to the surgeon, we'll do a prayer, did that just scare the shit out of you? Like, how bad are you at this job? Right. Yeah. I said, what is this uh, about? I have to come back next week as well. Yeah. Fuck, Jesus. That was, that was really offensive. That was really offensive. <laughs> yeah, and he was just looking out for you, man. I don't know. He was, he was selling himself, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you shouldn't sign your name as Reverend Ward. You know, everywhere. Right. <laughs> no, I, I don't think I did. I don't know that he knew I was a reverend or not. Yeah. Well, regardless, thank you again, sir, for coming. Uh, Rose is up. Thank you again. Yeah, I've got to pick up on that, Mark. I have to say, coming to these groups, what I'm learning is a lot about America and Americans. And I just, as a British woman, I cannot imagine a professional doctor announcing that they were going to say a prayer over me. I, I would, um, yeah, that, well, you're, that would freak, freak me out. Bound, bound and, and drugged. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. That's, um, that's so funny. Um, 
I, I nearly didn't come today. You know, I'm going to be rigorously honest. I nearly didn't come today, not because I didn't want to hear you speak, but because I thought, oh, I've been before. I need to be cooking dinner. You know, I need to. There's stuff going on in my life. And I thought, oh, maybe this is one I can skip. But I, I didn't. I decided to come. And I remembered why I liked listening to you speak so much. I heard you speak before and I've listened to the podcast you did. And what do I take away from it? I think what it helps me see is that I have a right to have confidence in my own ability to have my recovery journey, that it isn't actually up to anybody else to dictate that. I can seek out the help I need within the groups. I can seek out the help I need within the literature. But but I'm still in the driving seat of my recovery. And if it's if there are things that don't work for me, I can say no, thanks. And I can ask for help and listen to suggestions. So it's. Um, I don't know. I don't know quite how you're speaking and um, helps me see that. Um, but that's what I take away from it. You know, the power of the group to help me on my journey it is what I'm here for and um, each thing will come along in its own time and I won't get it right all the time and I'll make mistakes and I'll go down one path of recovery and think oh this is right for me <laughs> and I might come to a dead end and have to go back and and start a new path um, but the reason I'm able to stay on my recovery path is that I was able to find a branch of AA, a branch of recovery that wasn't forcing things upon me. And um, I'm really on board with the idea that 12 steps shouldn't be so limited to one thing or another. You know, you, you, that it should be open to more people and to all. And it's a way of life that could be more broadly embraced and it's a great shame and a great disservice to 12-step culture if we are turning people off when they first come in the door by using language that is outdated um anyway I, I don't think I've got a specific question but I just wanted to say thank you very much and even though I've heard you before I got something out of today and it's helped me feel at peace today and feel like I'm secured in my recovery and I could keep coming back to get the help I need to keep moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Always great to hear you. Next is John's iPhone. Hey, I'm uh, John. I'm an alcoholic ward. I, I, I missed the first little uh, 10 minutes ish, which probably was just filled with gold nuggets because everything I did hear from you was was pure gold. And I don't really have a question, I guess, but but I, I'm, I'm, I'm married to um, a lady, a, a very great woman. And, and I think she's a, a step 10, 11, 12 or she never went through the program, but but she's. Um, you know, deeply. Uh, well, she's she tries to be the best person she can every day, which is kind of step 10. Right. And then 11 is, is being connected with that, with that higher power of her understanding. Uh, and 12 is, is altruistic giving. And some people get there without a program. Um, I guess she got there through religion. I, I'm, I'm forever grateful. That the program got me through the steps to, to get me to that 10, 11, 12 group, and then maybe back 
to you know back some steps occasionally and and um, reflecting kind of on on religion uh if okay i mean a lot of that it's it's very sort of metaphysical and it's very much of you know about what what happens after death where where for, for me the 12 steps in the program are, are just incredibly sort of here and now and, and and a lived faith and and faith in action and, and the works that go with it for me and, and it is faith that is linked to spirituality again different from religion uh, that 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 has you know brought all this together and it's even brought me the humility then to say okay so who am i to point my finger at 2000 years of, of 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 sort of christian learning and and i've even opened the door to to a bit of that which has given me uh yeah some additional insight sort of into into what it means to be I mean, Jesus never said, believe in me. He said, follow me. And, and I think that, you know, in a way there, there's, there's a message there in, in, in the way that, that, that that's conveyed in, in Christianity. But other than that, I, I, you know, taking from other, you know, Buddhism, you name it. I mean, and, and or non-religious uh, uh, spirituality. So I, I don't know. There's, there's not really a question here other than, I guess, gratitude maybe for, for the program, which has opened my eyes and, to speak with Nike, kind of just do it. You know, it's that faith because everything that was so awful, I guess, has brought me to this place where I'm comfortable expressing this kind of thing. I don't need to live in fear anymore. And just taking that next step in, in faith that things are going to be okay in the universe or God or higher power, my understanding will take care of me. And the fellowship is, is, is incredibly rich. I don't know but that just wanted to say thanks basically. Thank you. We didn't even talk about fear. Woo or shame at any length. I mean, there's so much going. Anyway, thank you. Yeah, we're all on a journey. Everyone's afraid of fear. Uh, Edgar is up. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Martin, for the service. And thank you, Mr. Arwin, for your share. I really like that. A question. I have a question for you. What do you think about the statement, I am an alcoholic? Is good or bad? Define me like only that I am an alcoholic. Is, what do you think about that statement? Good or bad? Oh, it's, it's, if you are an alcoholic, it's the door that opens to a whole new life. Uh, one of the things I've learned that I think is really important is I am an alcoholic is a great statement. You're an alcoholic is not a statement we should be using. Um, that the, the whole sense of judging. And I remember early, I was trying to do and wanting to do an intervention on someone. And I called up one of my alcoholic friends uh, to find out a little bit more about what needed to be done. And the first thing he said to me, he says, stop calling him an alcoholic. You don't know that at all. And I said, Ooh, <laughs> um, so I am an alcoholic is, a, is the, that surrender that first begins the journey to a whole new life in recovery, a life that will become filled with gratitude and joy uh, on that road. To, and, but I think when we use it for other people, we're in, that is not going to be helpful to anybody. So. Okay. Thank you, Ward. Um, we're just on the hour. We don't got to finish up now yet. If anyone else has any questions, if not, we can wrap it there. No hands. 
Okay, Ward, is there anything you'd like to say that you didn't say? No? I, I think, uh, I think, I think it was make, Helena that said it. Anyway, I would love for this program to be known. I have one of the, one of my deepest gratitudes is that I've had this a significant participation in this fellowship, and and it has strengthened my life. It has changed my life, and it has given me tools to deal with with a major issue in my life. Um, and I wish everybody could have that. But we've also got to maintain that AA is about caring, has a singleness of purpose, because I think when we get beyond, it's not AA's job to fix some teenage kid who's got a, who's having some real identity problems. It's AA's job to be there for the still suffering alcoholic. I don't know how we get there. I don't know. Uh, uh, I mean, part of what I've hoped for in this, in the book I've recently written is to hold this up to, for people outside of the fellowship, as well as those within to uh, to see the power in this program and the and the wonderful joy that comes from it, uh, but I don't know how we get there for for secular for for, for other other groups. I, I know there's so it's what 160 something groups that now use the 12 steps, um, but none of them are using them for helping us deal with issues in our lives. Anyway. It, it's that's a quandary for me, but I do do give thanks for this fellowship and my ability to be a, my my welcome to it and my presence with you. It's just been part of a wonderful journey. Thank you so much, Ward. Um, all right, last chance. Everyone gets some mute and say thank you to the speaker. Thank you, Ward. Thank you, Mr. Ward. Thank you. 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 Thank you.